0: What's everybody? It's Eddie Sanchez coming at you on a Saturday night. I just finished watching the TJ dillashaw Corey Sandhagen fight, the one I've been talking about for just about a month and a half, two months now, and man, what a fucking fight that was. Honestly, man, it was, just, it was just amazing. But of course, before we get into that, the drink of the night is a Corona light. Just throwing a few back, having a good time, enjoyed the fight, and now it's time to just chill, talk some boxing, talk some MMA, and get it going for the bad promoter. All right, everybody. So TJ Dillashaw, he had his return after two years uh, from his EPO um, suspension. And, uh, of course, Corey Sandhagen is uh, the number two ranked bantamweight in the world. And so this was uh, as high-profile fight as you can possibly get for TJ Dillashaw. Of course, he's not going to get the number one contender, and he's not going to get a title fight right away after two years out um, so literally fighting the number two ranked contender, literally as high as you can go, and TJ Dillashaw, man, he looks sick, now this fight was super close, so, um, I don't wanna, I don't wanna let that be, uh, unheard, um, I will say, uh, a few of my biggest takeaways, like, right away were TJ Dillashaw looked quite slow, um, I mean, he was out of the cage for a really long time, so it's, it's very uh, it's very reasonable and expected for him to be a little slower, um, especially at his age. Uh, and uh, Corey Sanhagen, of course, just the fact that he's so much taller, he had about a 5-inch uh, height advantage from TJ. Um, his reach was much longer. It was very noticeable. I would say the next thing I noticed was TJ Dillashaw was really good um, at being the first one to strike. He was really good at... Evading a little to the right or left, and then immediately coming forward with a straight um, right hand or a left hook, or coming at him with some leg kicks to try and neutralize Corey Sandhagen's movement. Now, the only issue was Corey Sandhagen immediately was able to counter, and uh, just given the fact that his reach was so much longer, TJ, even though he was trying to uh, move out and uh, get away and out of danger, Corey Sandhagen's reach was able to uh, overcome that. Um, The next thing I noticed was the fact that even though uh, Corey Sandhagen was able to counter effectively, and very effectively indeed, um, TJ Dillashaw had a a nasty, massive cut over his eye. So even though he was very effective in that, TJ Dillashaw was really good to switch up the momentum right away every time he got hurt. Anytime he got hit with a good shot from Corey, he was able to either, one, take it to the ground, Two throw and throw another shot right back at him, or three immediately evade and regroup and then move along and reset the tone. He was really good at resetting the boundaries and uh, you know just not letting the fight get away from him. Even though he, I mean, that cut he had was nasty. He had blood all over his eye. Um, he had a, a knee injury early on in the fight, so it was just it was just nice to see him. Uh, not get carried away, and always find a way to uh, neutralize Corey and eventually finish the fight. And so the fact that he was able to win this, amazing, simply amazing. Um, I can't wait for Sterling and Jan too. Uh, That's going to be a sick fight to see uh, who the actual true champion is, and uh, I hope TJ can stay healthy until then because I want to see him get that title fight immediately after that. But we were treated to an amazing, amazing fight, y'all. And uh, I'm just happy TJ's back. All right, y'all. So now it's time to get into boxing. To start us off, I want to go into uh, the Oscar de la Hoya and uh, Victor Belfort fight. Uh, this was supposed to be an exhibition uh, where Oscar de la Hoya was going to step back in the ring for the first time in 12 years. And, uh, you know, we'd really get a sense to see uh, where he's at physically. Well, as it turns out, this exhibition has been upgraded to a full-on, full-fledged professional bout, and uh, Oscar De La Hoya gets a chance to improve his professional record from 39-6, and six. so uh, maybe he'll get to the big 40, which uh, will honestly be pretty cool. Um, it'll be really interesting to see where he's at, um, not in the sense of uh, title contention, of course, but just based on the fact that he's a legend in the sport, and uh, it'll just be really cool to see. Now, one thing about uh, Oscar De La Hoya is uh, he's been talking about he wants to get two fights, including this next one, um, before he uh, takes on Floyd Mayweather Jr. Now, I don't think Floyd Mayweather will actually uh, accept this challenge um, unless Oscar De La Hoya just pulls in massive, massive pay-per-view numbers, which he honestly has a really good and legitimate shot at. Um because if, if, if he's making money, then it's going to make sense to Mayweather, and we will see that fight. But uh, if it's just some mediocre sales, then I think Mayweather will continue with the route he's at. Um, and uh, that'll be being fighting exhibitions against YouTubers or uh, mixed martial artists. But uh, one thing I think that is interesting is, well, as long as Oscar De La Hoya's physicality um, you know, and uh, just overall health is he able to maintain himself... I think he'll be Victor Belfort with ease, uh, just based on the fact that he's very skilled, um, even at his advanced age. He just has that muscle memory. He's been boxing his entire life, former Olympic gold medalist, uh, champion in six weight classes. Just, you know, he's a fucking natural in the sport. So it'll it, as long as he remains healthy, doesn't have an injury, and he will win that fight. If he does get a second fight, uh, a couple of uh, fights that uh, could stick out to him are Miguel Cotto and Juan Manuel Marquez um, exhibition winner. Uh, I know I've talked about this in the past, and both of those guys, uh, they they state that they're going to remain undefeated, but I'm telling you, man, you throw enough money in front of someone, they'll change their mind in a heartbeat. And uh, I think if, again, health permits, they show out and have a nice fight, one of them wins, and Oscar De La Hoya comes calling, I think they will accept. But if not, you have someone like Sergio Martinez who uh is is fighting professional fights again very old uh very frail has a really bad left knee um honestly shouldn't be out there but he is and you put Sergio Martinez and Oscar De Loje in the ring that's going to sell that's going to fucking sell so i think uh it would be really cool i just want to see everyone stay healthy um these guys are legends in the sport Uh, As long as they're, you know, sticking with the way they're doing it now and fighting each other um, in terms of exhibitions, like fighting guys who are just now retired uh, or maybe even retired from the era just beyond or UFC guys, former UFC guys, former mixed martial artists of any organization. As long as they're doing those crossover fights and not necessarily, like, getting say, an Oscar De La Hoya versus Triple G. You know, we don't need to see some shit like that because that's just where someone's going to get hurt. But, uh, yeah, I just think that'll be interesting, and I'm, I'm for sure going to tune in on September 11th to see uh, how Oscar De La Hoya looks. But uh, let's get into the real business. So last week we had Jamel Charlo against Brian Costano and uh, this was for the undisputed 154-pound weight class. Um, whoever would have won that fight would have been the first undisputed championship in that class and uh unfortunately, we got a split decision draw but uh I don't want to say unfortunately with too strong of a too strong of a feel because it was actually a really nice fight and honestly quite surprising um which it, it honestly couldn't shouldn't have been if you really think about it just based on the fact that Jamel Charlo has a tendency to um kind of sit back on his punches and kind of feel um very confident in his strength and his power that he doesn't necessarily uh try to outwork you um with an onslaught of punches he doesn't try to work you with insane angle angles he just tries to uh pot shot and uh you know look cute from the distance try and uh utilize little defense to evade a punch and immediately just counter with a a clean shot but he met someone like Brian Costano, not afraid He mix it up and get dirty. He was not afraid to, uh, take a punch, take a second punch, crouch, come in and then hit you with the fucking hammer. And he looked awesome, man. There were a number of times where, uh, both of those guys, um, got each other hurt. And, uh, you know, it was a pretty even fight. I mean, I think the split decision, uh, draw was very well executed and, uh, really really left us um you know with a little cliffhanger for, and got us hoping for uh, a second bout now i think in my heart of hearts jamel charlo is going to be able to uh, make the necessary adjustments and win that second fight but i think Brian Costano, he's going to he's going to have a real future in this weight class and uh i think he, will, he he'll be champion for a while mm-hmm. now um I think uh, Jamel Chalo is going to, regardless of if he wins or loses, that next fight against uh, Costano, and I don't want to, I say next fight against him specifically because it's possible he has to fight a mandatory in between, so... Uh, Once he fights Castano, I think after that he's moving up in his weight anyway. So regardless of whether he wins or loses or Castano wins or loses, Castano's going to stay in that class, I I think, and uh, he'll eventually be champion again. So that was a nice showing. Um, I will say, though, for the hype that Jermel Charlo gets, um, and it's warranted, he's a very fucking good fighter, but this is now the second time where we've seen him go into a bout and... uh, you know, just come out of it and not feel super confident in him, um, even though it was a draw. It wasn't like he went out there and got his shit pummeled. It wasn't like he got robbed by the judges. It was It was a draw. It was a nice fight, and uh, you can honestly, like, look in there, have a room full of 100 people watching that fight, and it would probably be a 50-50 split of them saying, oh, Cassano won. No, Charlo won. But it's a little disappointing because... Naturally, when you have a twin brother who's also a fighter, um, undefeated, a uh, weight class above, you know, closer to uh, the other guys like a Triple G and a Canelo Alvarez um, in the premier weight class of the middleweight division, you're naturally going to get compared to him. And even though um, it would be fair to say that Jamel Charlo has, you know, done more with his career than Jamal has, even though Jamal is undefeated. You know, you just naturally from uh, the standpoint of the media and uh, just going out there and having two showings where he didn't necessarily look like he was at his best, it just weighs against you. And uh, it's a little disappointing because that's not how boxing should be. Boxing should be a little more like the UFC or MMA in general where you lose a fight, you have a draw, it doesn't matter because you went out there and you fought the best. You put your best effort in. And, uh, you know that the way the sport is operating, you're going to have an opportunity to get back there right away. Um, I don't want to dwell too much on that though, because I think, um, he's a very, uh, consummate professional and, uh, he'll be back. He'll make sure, he'll make sure that he puts his best foot forward and he'll correct any mistakes that he had. Now, it, it may be fair to wonder, uh, whether we saw Jamel Charlo's ceiling, um, which is kind of funny to say because, I mean, he has three championship belts, but I think you put him against a guy who's going to get, you know, in his chest, in his face, that we're not necessarily going to see him, uh, you know, exert his dominance and um, just utilize the boxing skills necessary to outclass somebody. So when you see that, you got to question whether if you were to fight someone like, I don't know, I don't want to say Triple G and Canelo, just because those guys are so much... I don't want to say better, but... Um, I mean, yeah, they are better. They're a lot bigger they're a lot stronger. Um, we'll say like an Errol Spence Jr., who's likely going to move up from 147 pretty soon if, say, Jamel Charlo were to stay. Um, Errol Spence Jr., I would say, is a much better boxer in terms of technical skill and talent. Um, and I think even though Charlo is the naturally bigger man, just based on the fact that we've seen that Jermel isn't able to have the skill set necessary to thoroughly outclass someone who is just as physical as him. Um, it makes you wonder whether he faces someone who even if he may have the physical advantage that if that person is just that much better at him in terms of technical skill, if he's going to lose that fight 10 out of 10 times, um, Maybe that's fair, maybe that's not, but of course I was wondering that. Just seeing uh, two outcomes like this from Charlo. Now there was some other big news this past week. Uh, Terrence Crawford and uh, Sean Porter were ordered to fight each other, which is big, which is honestly monumental. Um, Of course, Terrence Crawford is with Top Rank, um, Bob Arum and ESPN, and uh, he's in the last fight of his deal with them. And, of course, Sean Porter is on the other side of the fence with PBC, Al Heyman, with Fox slash Showtime pay-per-view. Now, this is, this is interesting because Sean Porter is probably, what, third best um, on the PBC side. Of course, Errol Spence Jr. and uh, Manny Pacquiao are number one and two on the PBC side. And they're going to fight each other uh, in August. So... You have Sean Porter just on the outside, uh, hoping to get another title shot. And the fact that he was ordered to fight uh, Terrence Crawford, that's huge. Because um, he's the type of guy who's not going to turn a challenge down. Uh, he's Him and his father uh, are going to do everything they can to make sure that bout gets signed. Terrence Crawford, on the on the other hand, um, is similar in the feeling that, uh, you know, he's kind of not been able to fight any welterweights of of noteworthy meaning um at least in the current present day of when he fought them and uh, sean porter is right there for the pickings man and uh you know there's just a, a couple little interesting nuggets here that i'm about to break down for why the outcome of this fight how it gets made it, well if it gets made and if so how it gets made where it's going to fight what channel is going to be are huge and will really show us where boxing is going to go in 2022 D and top rank have had a hard time working with each other and everyone knows this this has been told time and time again and been proven true for years now I'm going to tell you why this situation is a little different so Terrence Crawford has one fight left on his deal with top rank and uh, it's no secret that him and Bob Arum have had a uh, kind of a rough patch in their relationship in the past year to year and a half and uh, the fact that Uh, Sean Porter is ordered to face uh, Terrence Crawford is huge because it already gives an end for PBC. PBC isn't trying to uh, sneak in and say, hey, we'll offer you our third best guy uh, for your best guy, um, even though I know you only have one fight left on your your deal with him, and uh, we're going to go from there. No, this is the organization themselves saying, I want to put these two together because those two deserve it. So Al Heyman doesn't have to do any sly business, any uh, tricky business. They're going to have to meet in a room and settle things accordingly. And uh, even though an organization ordering a fight to happen, um, you know, it should should make it happen because uh, they're the ones who hold the belt. um, Or rather, they're the ones who issue the belt in this way because at the end of the day, the promoters have the final say. And uh, as with anything, money can solve all issues and enough money can be thrown here, enough money can be thrown there to kind of, uh, you know, get the get the mandatory fights out of the way and move on to other folks. Um, A fighter, likewise, can also get paid a certain amount of money and uh, be more comfortable with vacating a belt and moving on and um, finding new opportunities and new goals, quote unquote. So just based on the fact that um, PBC is going to look at this situation and see Crawford with only one fight left in his contract, they're going to see a prime opportunity to basically show him what it's like to be on the PBC side, even though he technically won't be. He'll be fighting a PBC fighter, and it's likely that this fight is going to be on either Fox or Showtime because according to uh, a lot of sources right now, especially Mike Kupinger, um PBC is expected to throw substantial money to outbid Top Rank and make sure that they're the ones showcasing the fight. And um, if they're able to do that, man, that should be the final nail in the coffin for Bob Arum, Top Rank, and ESPN because if Terrence Crawford can see his uh, his backing not having his back in this situation and letting the um, other people, um, meaning Al Heyman, PBC, Fox, and or Showtime, front the bill, then that should tell him all he needs to know going into the last fight of his contract. And, um, that'll just get us one half step closer to Errol Spence Jr. versus Terrence Crawford. We have a lot of potential, man, um, with these weight classes. And, uh, it's just very exciting to see. Very, very, very exciting to see. Now, there's a lot of uncertainty in, in terms of, uh, who's going to be the last man standing at 147 and the last man standing at 154, or whether we're even going to have a last man standing. Because, um, of course, people can move weight classes, people can drop belts, but assuming all goes well, everyone holds their belts, and uh, we end up with one last man standing, we have a very big potential to have a clash between uh, both whoever I'm assuming will be undisputed champions at that time, Um whatever happens between Castano and Charlo, and whatever happens between either Spence Pacquiao and uh, Crawford Porter. Now, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of personalities, a lot of trainers, a lot of promoters, a lot of managers. Um, just I mean, obviously, there's a lot of variables before we even get to that point, but just the fact that we look at these two uh, weight classes and We can just see a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, Just all the potential that's there for, you know, just the most premier boxing experience imaginable is just simply amazing, and I love to see it. All right, everybody. That's it for the night. Um, Thank you, as always, for listening to The Bad Promoter. Keep up with us on thebadpromoter.com. Check out our Twitter and Instagram at thebadpromoter. Let's get ready for another week, y'all.